I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment and Aaron Fintel, the Remarketing Specialist with 21st Century Equipment, take a look back on what happened in the used equipment market in 2019. Before we head over to their conversation, I wanted to invite you to join us this August 4th through 5th at the Dealership Mind Summit in Omaha, Nebraska. Based on the feedback of past attendees, our Dealer Advisory Board, and the Dealership of the Year Alumni Group, we're bringing back the focus on used equipment remarketing. Space is limited for this dealer-only event, and if you register now, you can save $200 off the full price. Register today at dealershipmindsummit.com. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, Casey and Aaron start off discussing the auction market and how auctions have changed now that many auctions have a live and online presence at the same time. Let's take a look at what happened in 2019. I don't care if you're in agriculture or not, it seems like everybody wants 2019 to be over and forgotten about, it feels like. I guess as you step back and take a look, farmers have had a horrible year with just five weather and commodity prices and anything and everything that could have possibly went wrong this year went wrong. And even when you had a little glimmer of hope that commodity prices were going to rebound, we we're going to see that $5 corn. Sure enough, the gods of the commodity prices came back and kicked you in the balls real hard. It's just been a crazy year. And the auction market's been no lack of craziness there either, I guess, if you really think about it. The auction market heated up in December and it got hotter through this December. So I guess give me your reflections on 2019 here and kind of what your takeaways were for the year. As I sit here at the worldwide headquarters of Open Skies Farms, I remember 2019 started kind of damn normal. There was nothing crazy about it until that one Wednesday when that, maybe it was a Tuesday, the blizzard hit here in March, which was the same time that dam broke in Spencer, Nebraska. From that day on, all hell broke loose all over the whole country. We were sitting here watching the lights flicker and power lines jump 10 feet up and down and snow covering up vehicles. And then all of a sudden your phone starts going off because there's a dam that broke and flooding all over hell. And it's like, wow. Kind of from that moment on, all hell broke loose with all of 2019. But it's on the social media. It looks like a lot of guys are getting done. So, Except for them poor damn guys in the Dakotas. They got a battle on their hands. But I know some guys in North Dakota are used to picking corn in March. So there's that. Yeah, I've talked to several guys up there who said that they'll be for sure picking corn in late February, early March. And then about the time yeah. they get that done, the uh, field prep goes right behind that. And they're pulling planters right behind the combines. You did ask me a question. I got you all sidetracked there. The auction market, I think, was year-to-date, back to Christmas Eve last year, say December of last year. It Last December was pretty strong. We started the spring rolling pretty strong. I think other than some of your one-off things that were machine repeat record breakers or whatever, through the summer and early fall, the auction market sucked. Case in point, we ourselves auctioned off the combine nobody wants, the 1213. S combine with 12 to 1700 SEP that are all over. We auctioned some of those and they were a wreck. And then I know watching other guys' auctions, same thing. Just like, where is the floor? 
fast forward that a couple months to last week in Sullivan's big auction. Right. And I don't know what in the hell happened there, but I am flabbergasted, to use a fancy word, flabbergasted at what those combines brought. Right. Honestly, I thought that 770 was light. I really did. Because that thing was four-wheel drive, five-speed, power cast, power rear, power fold. It was sexy. And I thought it was light for what it is. But some of the random... 12, 13, 14 stuff they're brought. Big bucks. Talking combines. Like, what on earth? I just couldn't believe it. You see some of the just online deals and what they bring. There's combine after combine at, say, 90 to 100, and those same combines last week brought 140. So timing's part of it. Obviously, with any Sullivan deal, presentation is absolute to the nuts. And that all goes into play, but I was still just shocked. I think for me, we've talked about this so many times in this podcast, probably should be a motto, but you should change it to combine auction talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what we should change it to. But the idea being that the online only presence is obviously which way the industry's headed, right? The online presence is hard and fast and it's part of society now, right? It's not going right. anywhere. It's the invasive species that everybody knows is a pheasant now, right? So it's, it's Well yeah, uh, Casey, look at the boys at stock. Right. Yeah. They've let Big Iron take over the whole company. That is the whole company now. And they sell land. They sell yep. land once, twice a week online. Yeah. Even when equipment auctions got going online, there was nothing like that selling land online. Right. That was always at the community center, and we got some pictures of the ground up here, and everybody come on in and grab a coffee. And- right. I'm a firm believer, 100% firm believer in online auction part of it. I think what makes Sullivan's auctions so powerful and so successful because, I mean, Time in and time out. I mean, you can go put auction times and big irons and anybody else that does online only stuff up there. And what you get at the live auction with the internet bidding, it's a whole nother level, right? It's like a whole nother level of someone saying like, okay, well, I'm bidding online, but the guy here that's on the ground keeps bidding it up. So he must think it's a good machine or he sees something that I'm not seeing, right? And you can watch that go back and forth between online and live. Like with the Richie sales that we've been to, when you actually a physical Richie auction and you're sitting in their movie theater seating and you got the Peter on and you got your nice cup of coffee and all you're missing is someone giving you, walking up in the aisle asking if you want a beer or not. That experience, but the back and forth between the guy in the audience and the guy online, there is something to that, right? Oh, I feel absolutely. Like that, that interaction that you have there is kind of giving that next level of kind of credence to but the guy in line is kind of wavering back and forth, like, I don't know if it's that good of a piece or not, but the guy in the audience hits it one more time. Psychologically, the guy in line is going to be like, it must be as good as I think it is, or it must right. be worse than I think it is, and whatever it might be. So you can take pictures, you can take videos, you can do all those things, but you miss kind of like that Jamie Johnson song, it's, you know, you should have seen it in color type of thing. It's right. actually seeing it with your own eyes is, is a whole different thing than when you actually see it in a picture. You know what I mean? I think there's something to that. And I think that's why those like Richie sales or a Solden sale or a Stessa sale or whoever it might be that has that live auction with a, a web presence are a little more robust, I guess, than what you'd see on your typical internet only thing. 
Right. Absolutely. It, internet only thing is the bottom. We all know that. But what was shocking, and again, you got whole different worlds, but combines that are the same. And that's what was shocking. God bless, $50,000 difference on a couple machines. It was quite a show. Yeah, and it was... So when Chad went to that auction, what was the atmosphere like? Like, could you tell there were people there to buy? Could you tell that there were people there to see what happened? No, I feel like there was people were there to buy. There wasn't a lot of guys off to the side kind of shooting the shit. The crowd followed the camper pretty good. Right. Do you feel like, I mean, obviously that typical last two weeks of December, most people know what they've got to do, what they don't have to do, tax reasons, those kind of things. This year was kind of one of those years where, if you took advantage of that 430 corn, 450 corn, those kind of things before the bottom fell out of it again, you probably had some money to get rid of, or I hate to say the word that, get rid of, but for tax purposes, you know, you might have had a little bit of a tax situation. Obviously, the last two weeks of December, you always kind of run into that. Usually the whole month of December is that way, but with the way harvest has been and everything else has fallen into place, it's that kind of was your time frame. So you feel like that was people planned? Everyone gets the Sullivan Christmas catalog in September, kind of starts laying out their fall, August, September time frame, kind of start laying out their auctions they're going to have through the end of the year. And then you usually get one in like March, kind of lays out through the spring and stuff like that. Do you feel like people are planning their purchases around that auction? Or do you feel like it was, I need to go spend hundred grand and I'm going to go do it over here? Honestly, I couldn't tell you on that, Casey. I'm not sure. I know from call volume that I'm getting, there's a lot of end-of-year stuff going on. A lot more than I expected. So I know that's been good. You know, obviously, the year-end is yet one more thing to plug into. Last week's auction of why it was so strong. So, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of end-of-year stuff going on. Whether guys were planning that around auction purchases, I guarantee it some are. But... There's lots of others that are doing dealer world too. So, right. The guys you're talking to now that you're getting calls from, is it a cross section of everything or are they looking for real crop tractors and four wheel drives or more combines or I guess what are the calls that you're getting? Everything. It's been a pretty good cross section planters, sprayers, tractors, a little bit of combine action. So, I mean, there's a little bit of everything, quite honestly. And it's been, for the most part, it's not the classical 50 to 100 range of stuff. It's all been late model, low hour, one, two-year-old, high-dollar stuff that guys are going for. Yeah. And a lot of interaction in the wholesale dealer-to-dealer stuff right now. So, both for me going out trying to buy stuff and for our guys and... Dealers calling me, and most of the dealer stuff has been late model OR track. Yeah. So that was my next question. Are the majority of the people looking for that less than a thousand hour tractor or less than 750 hour sprayer, or kind of what's the sweet spot you see? I would say the most is the under 500 hour tractor. Okay. That's the biggest one. Second would probably be probably be sprayers. Ironically enough. Well, yeah, coming that time of the year though. Think about it. I mean, well, right. But the sprayer market itself has been kind of pretty down. But here it's getting some good action here year in. That's the one thing about sprayers over the last five years. They get super hot and super cold. And it never really stays consistent. No, there's nothing steady to them. Yeah, I mean, one year you can't have enough sprayers. The next year, if you have one, you've got too many. And uh, what market does that remind you of? Probably a little bit of the planter market and also 
oddly enough, combine market. Four-wheel drive tractors. Yeah. I, I think that also depicts where you're at, though, man. Well, yeah. Four-wheel drives aren't overwhelmingly a big deal, right? But right. if you get to, like, West Texas and the heart of wheat country or down around south-central Kansas, where I'm at now, four-wheel drives are a big deal. Well, yeah, they are through the Midwest Corn Belt, too, in certain right. pockets, tillage tractors and stuff. But even still, I mean, that four-wheel drive market, it's the same way. It gets super hot and super cold. Yeah. There's not really much steady to it. Whereas I would argue with you on combines, combines are always falling out of bed. So just kick dirt on them as you walk by and move on down the road. I think combines are like a couple of years away from really kind of being in a good spot again. And the reason I say that is because we have to get through 12, 13, 14 mile of combines are five to seven years old now, right? Right. And there's so many of them that once we get the bulk of those kind of through the cycle, I mean, I really think we're going to be back to an even kill of supply and demand. I'm not going to disagree with you there, simply because the production numbers are way down, thank God, compared to those three model years that we were talking about. However, there is so damn many of them to still flush that it's going to be a bit. In two or three years from now, if you still have a 2012 or 13 or 14 model combine on your lot or on your farm, you have a 9 to 13-year-old combine at that point, you're not trading it. You're going to sell it to local. No one's going to trade you out of it. You've kind of hit that point now where you either you're just going to take it to an auction, you're going to sell it off yourself, someone from Mexico is going to come buy it from you, whatever. If someone does trade you for it, it's peanuts. You're talking $50,000 combine or whatever. Right. Yep, absolutely. So you've hit the 9650 level combine at that point. And that's, it just is what it is. They were 300 new, and now they're 30. <laughs> that's not that far off I mean if you think about it if you think about the 15 year old combine should be in my judgment and kind of looking the stuff it's worth about 10% of what it was when it was brand new we'll get back to Casey and Aaron in a moment but first a quick reminder about the 2020 dealership mind summit remarketing managers and top dealership management won't want to miss this two day intensive on used equipment remarketing visit dealershipmindsummit.com today to register Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Aaron talk about the current combine population and how the number of units out there have saturated the market. Here's a funny story. I'm sitting up over here at my in-law's house doing some stuff on my computer. And of course, down here where I'm at in Wichita, the temperature yesterday was like 59 degrees, seasonably warm. So I was sitting on their back deck and I was doing some stuff and this analyst calls me. He had to have his facts wrong or looked at something wrong. He said, the USDA had a report out that said there were 300,000 combines in use in the United States. And I laughed. I told him, that's impossible. There's no possible way that's true. I go, I don't know there's been 300,000 self-propelled combines produced since the first year they produced a self-propelled combine. If you put it into perspective, there's about 250 million acres a year that gets farmed. I mean, if there's 300,000 combines, there's roughly like each combine's cutting 150 acres. <laughs> You'd go bankrupt if you did that. I mean, you would just, no possible way you could do that. So I kind of started going through the math, and I was just doing some rough numbers in my head as we were talking, but I came up with the number of about 55,000 combines. So I took 250 million acres at 15 acres an hour, and I got down to like, I can't remember how I got to the number, but then I divided that by 300, and that got me 
to about 55,000 combines that were out operational in the United States right now. And then I took 75% of that number as, hey, this 75% was probably used and then 25% with new. And that basically got me to about 12 to 15,000 combines a year that get produced new across all platforms, right? We're talking John Deere, Case, New Holland, all the manufacturers, right? As I was sitting there, we were having this combine conversation. You think those numbers are right? I think that's pretty close. Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, Casey loves to do math, just so you all know, because I think he had some integers and the whole thing. That was a math problem right there. That was fantastic. I think the the 300 is where that math gets tricky, because I did do a Twitter poll this spring, and that's 250 to 300. It catches a lot of I know you're just going guesstimate averages and what have you. So, yeah, that's probably pretty close. And that takes into consideration everything from some old damn F Gleaner a guy cuts three acres with to a guy that's going to order three X9s as soon as he can. Right. (laughs) That encompasses everything. Right. So if you think about if my 55,000 number of combines in use is correct, that's not count the number of machines that are physically on the lot, right? Right. So those are actual machines that populate or actually there. So we're talking about having well, that last report Ron gave me. I think there's probably eleven or twelve thousand combines for sale on the various websites out there. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So you're looking at sixty-seven thousand combines in out there right now, and we're saying that fifty-five thousand of them are in use. So more than likely you'd have to keep your combine population somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60,000 between what's on the lot and what's being in use. And if you exceed that number, you've probably got too many combines nationally. Does that logic make sense? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It really depends on the actual average hours a cut are right now. That's the only way you'd be able to figure that out. If the actual average is 150, well, then we got plenty of combines, right? If the actual average right. is 300, they probably got too many, yeah. which is an obvious statement because there's probably too many combines in, in captivity right now, right? Well, of course. All right. Well, that was a nice sidebar. <laughs> Do you want my address to send me my math degree to now? <laughs> I feel like I was just in like a level four calculus class. <laughs> I think those are the kind of questions you have to ask yourself when you're looking at the marketplace is how many acres of ground are there nationally? So how many acres are you going to cover with certain, like a planter, or how many hours are you going to cut, those kind of things with a combine to utilize the number of machines that are out there. And, I mean, realistically, combine-wise, you probably need to have a 25% reduction in the number of combines across the entire United States, across the board. Like, we need to purge the entire North American market by 25%. Yeah. If we did that, we'd be in a great spot. You could probably do the same with four-wheel drives. You could probably do the same with row crop tractors. And to some extent, I don't know if it's 25% is the number or not, but that would clamp the, the market enough where supply and demand would be right again. It'd all work. I think on combine, I think you have to be somewhere in, and I'm not shitting you, of course. We all know that I constantly deal with combines, and sometimes you just want to smack your head into a brick wall. But... I think the 25 is light on combines just due to the 12 to 14 numbers that need flushed the hell out of the system. I'd say you're probably in the 30 to 40 range there, but 
as far as having it be good, like not too many. Right. There's just too damn many older machines. And then the other problem with that too is the next argument people will give you on that combine thing is, oh well, you got you want those combines in your AOR because then you get all that parts and service business. Absolutely right, no doubt about it. But if you're not selling them, you're not getting any parts and service business. So that's, that's where that ratio has to be. Right. You have to have just enough of a demand that supply is light enough that guys are going to be convinced to go ahead and run their combine one more year and just run it through the shop type of deal, right? That's like a perfect scenario where demand's just high enough and supply's just low enough that the ability for guys that want to go buy new stuff is there, but the guy that's on the fence of whether he wants to spend another hundred grand, put a hundred grand down or 50 grand down or 200 grand down or whatever the number is, that he's going to run his combine one more year and run it through the shop. You see what I'm saying? Like that's the perfect, perfect scenario. Now, on the other hand, when you got, like we're in now where supplies are a little bit higher than what you want and demand isn't there. So your the actual, the value of that machine is contracting, right? Because you don't have a captive audience that want to go out there and buy it. Everyone's deciding to go ahead. Well, we're just going to keep our machines and run them through the shop again because I'm not going to take $80,000 from my combine. That's where we're at right now. And I think that's where the debate is. When you start really kind of looking at where our market is, how many acres of ground are we going to cover? this year how many acres is going to go into whatever crop it is and what tool we need to run that crop with i think you got to stick with the big four combines tractors sprayers planters and really relegate what those look like and average hours and number of acres and all those kind of things to really figure out where we're going to be at and what that looks like i think right now we've got more of a supply of everything 12, 13, 14 models being the culprit in that, then we could possibly sell just by the number of people that actually use it, right? Right. So that means we got to open up markets in other parts of the world. we got to get Eastern Europe up and running and Africa up and running and all those things. But when you do all that, you're putting more grain in the market, which puts pressure on the overall commodity price. So it's a kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Right. Yep. So good times is what I'm getting at. Absolutely. Well, that, that definitely took a... Big turn from the, what do you think about the 2019 auction market to, hey, let's solve the world problems. They're done. Problem we solved. Just it yeah. out. Like uh, a Christmas gift from us to the world. That's right. Figure out how to implement that all and we'll be right where we need to be at. Good times. Well, that's our part. We solved the problem. Now everybody else needs to go make it happen. That's right. We're just here with ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Good or bad. <laughs> there you go, buddy. That being said, I guess... What's the biggest thing for 2019 that you were shocked by and the the one thing that you were like, "Ah, I expected that to happen? The biggest surprise, I think, would be the amount of machines still moving and the biggest or the thing that I expected to have happened, I guess, is the incredibly stale commodity market. Every couple of months, there's somebody that's going, oh, see, we're going to hit this turn, and then this will go and be like, I ain't believing a damn word of it until it's actually there. <laughs> and that's just where all that is at. I'm probably going to be the same way that you are, that the resilience of the American farmer and their ability to figure out the next best thing they can do on the farm when it comes to being efficient and doing those things has just kind of played through this year. You know what I mean? You can't turn the news on without hearing something bad. I mean, ag news anyway, about KC feds talking about how there's going to be more bankruptcies this year than there was in 2019. Guys really figuring it out, making things happen. And like you see your point, 
the amount of inventory that we see still on the move when everything's supposed to be coming to hell in a handbasket kind of shows me that there's some light here at the end of the tunnel. On the commodity side, I agree with what you said. I think that there's probably an opportunity this year to see some commodity prices, not necessarily to take off and see like $7 corner again or anything like that. But if the China phase one thing gets done and now we got the USMCA things been ratified, the thing with Japan, those kind of deals are starting to come together. We're starting to give that level of certainty starting to kind of come back into the marketplace. And we're going to start measuring things on export reports and how the actual economics of the commodity market actually is supposed to work and what that looks like and not by some tweet that comes out about something. <laughs> it's actually going to be measured on the dollars and cents and the actual economics of charts and what that looks like and those kind of things. So I'm looking forward to that in 2020, that hopefully, knock on wood, all this stuff kind of calms down a little bit. We can have a more certain marketplace based on the trend lines of the charts and not some news that comes out, which obviously news is always going to play an effect on that, but not to the effect of, I will say that when I was talking to Sean Hackett the other day, when we were doing the commodity report, I was like, this whole phase one thing with China has always been every, well, we're two weeks away from a deal. Well, we've had 18 months of a two week period. I'm kind of glad it's kind of coming to an end here. Hopefully everything signed off. So this two week period of the last year and a half or two years, or we put behind us and we can move forward now. So, I guess that's right. my takeaway from 2019. I think there's a bit of a light in the tunnel in 2020, 2021, and we can kind of get back to some, whatever the new normal is for the ag economy. Right. I like the way you put that, the 18 months of that two-week period. <laughs> <laughs> it's been crazy, and I'm glad 2019 is rapidly coming to an end. We can start 2020, and hopefully we have a fresh new look here of how things are going to be moving forward. I guess we lock it down here, man. You got any final thoughts you want to throw out there? I don't. I really don't. It's just that time of year. One minute, get the holiday chill out. The next minute, we'll get this deal pushed through and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, that goes that same thing. One day, is, it's uh, back and forth all the time. But really, all I got to say, man, I think we've uh, had another good year with Moving Iron Podcast. And Aaron, I really appreciate you being on. You bet. I'm always willing to jump on the casting of pods. Thanks, Casey and Aaron. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all of our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash ask the expert, submit a question, and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. And don't forget to head over to dealershipmindsummit.com to register for the 2020 Dealership Mind Summit in Omaha. You can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.